How many of y'all have really, really been in a situation where you were extremely thirsty? Can you remember? Yeah, yesterday I was cutting grass or whatever you were doing. You was outside playing ball, whatever. You, you, you know what that's like, right? Well, there's a guy named William uh, Languish who uh, wrote a book several years ago called The Sahara Unveiled. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Sahara Desert, uh, but I had no idea how actually. Do y'all realize the Sahara Desert is as big a place as the whole United States? Does anybody know that? It's just an unbelievably big place. And so he writes uh, about just what an amazing place it is and, and all the things that go along with it. But in that, he interviewed a lot of people that uh, live in that area and how they survive and how they go through there. And he tells a story um, about an Algerian man whose name was Laglag. I don't know what his real name actually was, but they called him Laglag. And him and a companion were driving across the Sahara Desert when their truck broke down. And they were stuck in the Sahara Desert for three weeks trying to survive. Now, they had food on board of this truck, and they had some uh, water, but as you can imagine, not enough for surviving for three weeks. So they got up underneath the truck and dug out somewhat of a, a tunnel of some sort of just to sit in and try to stay cool. And they were reluctant to eat because you know when you eat, what happens? It makes you thirsty, right? Especially if you're eating something salty or something like that. So they were reluctant to, to eat and they said, I'm more afraid of dying of dehydration than I am starvation because everybody knows what happens in the desert. And in that book, he talks about Physiologists talk about the different uh, ways that people experience thirst. And he say the, uh, the first um, word they use is, these are kind of Greek words that physiologists use. One is called dipsogenic, which means thirst-provoking. And that means the whole desert is just a thirst-producing produ uh, atmosphere, isn't it? It's dry, it's hot, it's dusty, it just makes you thirsty. That was the kind of environment they're in. And then he says there's a... Uh, uh, in his particular, he uh, progressed from what is called eudipsia, which is ordinary thirst, to hyperdipsia, which means temporary intense thirst, to polydipsia, which is sustained excessive thirst. Have y'all ever been there? Now, we say that a lot. I mean, oh, I'm so thirsty. I'm, I'm, I'm thirsting to death. Have you ever said that and knew it wasn't true? We've all, yeah, we needed some, some hydration. But as I think about that, they talk about Polydipsia means the kind of thirst that drives someone to drink almost anything that they're so thirsty. You've talked about people who have been out at sea and they're so thirsty they start drinking the salt water, which just makes you even more thirsty. Anybody remember that in English class, the rhyme of the ancient mariner? Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Do y'all remember that? Hopefully an English teacher will commend me on that later because I remembered <laughs> But there's specialized forms, and sometimes people in those situations will drink just about anything. Some people resort to drinking their own blood. Some people resort to drinking their own urine because they have to have some kind of hydration. I know as, as gross as that seems, that's what happens when you get to that point. And what happened to these two guys is, is they got to a point where they had no more water left, and eventually, the good news is, is they did get rescued after three weeks. But right about the time they were getting rescued, they actually started drinking the water from the radiator of the truck. Now, you guys all know what's in that. It's antifreeze, which is actually poison. But they were so thirsty, they wanted some sort of a, something to quench their thirst so bad, they were actually going and getting the water out of that radiator 
and we're at least putting it in their mouth for a little bit. Can you imagine that kind of thirst? Because you know in your mind that's not good for you. It's poison, but you're so thirsty, you want something to quench that thirst so badly. And the reason I want to tell that story is, is that there's things in our life that we won't quench so bad that we're willing to do just about anything. And sometimes we know in our mind and our heart that this is not good for me. This is a poisonous, this is a, a destructive thing I'm getting ready to do. But I want whatever it want that I, that I want right now so badly that I'm willing to do that for the temporary feeling of what I can get right now. So today, I, I started last week with asking a question. If God could fix one thing in your life right now, what would that be for you? And it was interesting to ponder that. Just kind of let, I remember letting that kind of just sit out there last week. If God could fix one thing in your life, what would it be? And for all of us, it's different things. It might be, like I said, it could be physical, emotional, um, spiritual, whatever it is. But everybody's got things. They, if you could just fix this, my life would be so much better. And we looked at a, 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 a situation that Jesus had with a man an encounter he had with a man who had leprosy. And this leper came right up to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And we read that Jesus was in fact willing and he healed the man. And we took away from that encounter that there's times in our life where we think we can fix things on our own. And we need to stop and realize we need to come to God in desperation and say, God, I need you to help me with this. Because all my attempts to fix this and make it right, it's not working. And I need you to do it. And I need to believe that you want what's best for me. And I need to believe that you're willing to help me in this area of my life. And I need to be willing to believe that you will eventually fix this. Even if it's not right this second, you're trying to teach me something. And through this, you're not only going to fix it, but you're going to teach me something for down the road. So today I want us to look at another encounter Jesus had and another if question. This series I'm going to be doing for the next few weeks is about if words in the Bible. And this time it's not a person coming to Jesus and saying, if you will, Jesus is actually going to ask the if question here. And Jesus is actually seeking someone else out, or at least he has an encounter, very similar to what Kevin just talked about. He's at the Waffle House and we encounter people sometimes. But this particular day, Jesus is somewhere and he encounters someone and this conversation ensues. And this someone had many reasons, many reasons to believe that she was not worthy of God fixing her problem or healing, in this case, for her, quenching this thirst that she had that she was seeking so desperately. So we're going to look at John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the New Testament. It's the last gospel John was one of Jesus' disciples, very close to him, and his gospel is very different, but a very interesting story. So we're going to look at John chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 26, and you go, 26, that's a lot, but it goes fast. So it's going to be up on the screen, I hope, and if you've got your personal devices or your Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. We're going to have that up there? Oh, we're not. Okay, so I'm going to have to actually get my Bible. How embarrassing. I was not prepared, okay? But I had it. So let's look at what John said. John chapter 4. Technology's great when it works, isn't it? But it happens sometimes. All right, so John chapter 4. Let's listen to this encounter Jesus has with this woman. 
Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist. And although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, and he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, this is interesting, John lets us know the human side of Jesus. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John gives us in parentheses there the culture of that time. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you, Jesus answered, if you knew, here's the if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Awkward pause in the conversation. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that God that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship uh, in the spirit and in the truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one who speak to you, am he. Now I'm going to stop right there. There's more to this story, and I'm going to encourage you to read that for homework this week, maybe tonight or tomorrow. But I want to kind of unpack this story just a little bit. What's interesting here is, is you have a woman, a Samaritan woman, who's of questionable moral character. And Jesus knows this. She knows this. And you have Jesus, who's a male. He's not only a male, but he's a Jewish male. He's single, and he's also a rabbi, and he's of impe- impeccable moral character. And he comes and sits down at this well, and he asks a woman. First of all, single male Jews did not talk to women in public at all. You weren't even really supposed to talk to your own wife in public. I know we find that, what? You know, what in the world, you know? My husband wouldn't get away with that. 
But in this culture, that's just the way it was. So the fact that Jesus is even going through Samaria in the first place because Jews and Samaritans did not get along, and I'm going to explain that in a little bit, you walked around to not have to go through Samaria, but Jesus is specifically going into Samaria. And you notice that John, and this is written a long time after it actually happened, John says the rest of the disciples went to get something to eat in town because Jesus knew that he would handle this by himself. They would probably mess this encounter up. So they go off, and he encounters this woman. And she is blown away. Now, usually from what we understand in this culture, women got the water. They got it in the morning, and then they went back in the late afternoon, and they got the water again to do their, you know, whatever it is they did for their, their household, for their, for their families. But this is in the middle of the day. Why is this woman not coming during the morning when all the other ladies come? Why is she not coming in the afternoon when all the other ladies come? Well, a lot of commentators believe that all the ladies knew about her five previous relationships and now her sixth relationship. And it was kind of a social time uh, around the well. And she just wanted to avoid that because she knew people talked about her and she felt awkward and she didn't fit in with them. So she says, I'm just going to go in the middle of the day to avoid all of that. Maybe that's why she's here. And so she's avoiding all that, and oh great, here's a Jewish man. He's not going to talk to me. He's going to ignore me. He's going to wonder why I'm here. But then Jesus says, hey, will you give me a drink of water? And she's going, what? She even says, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. You're not even supposed to talk to me. And Jews don't, would never drink water that a Samaritan had touched. What's going on here? What's the deal between the the Jews and the Samaritans. Well, this is a, a long history. In a long history, hundreds of years of racial, religious, and political issues that have gone on and on over the years. You remember possibly reading the Bible, King David, who was one of the greatest kings in Israel's history, probably the greatest king. And after David, there was his son Solomon, who was also a great king. And it was probably the... Um, the epitome of when Israel was the world power. But right after Solomon, there was a split in the nation and there became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And the south capital was Jerusalem, but in the north, the capital was Samaria. And they split. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Again, I talked about racial, religious, and political issues. But these two groups separated And they had one king, they both had a different king. And between fighting each other over the years and fighting other countries, we saw that they were both groups were internally imploding. They had started as God's chosen people to show the rest of the world what God was all about. But we see this slow but steady spiritual rejection of God and a rejection and betrayal of God for worship and reliance on themselves and also on false gods of those around them. But the... Both the north and the south would eventually fall to the Assyrians. Israel would fall first and then later Judah. But the north being the first and being repopulated in those days with the Assyrian people, the people from the Assyrian Empire, they eventually adopted the gods and the ways of the Assyrians. They eventually started intermarrying with the the Assyrians and they had a mixed race. And the Judeans goes, I can't believe they're doing that. They've ruined it. Now you're not a true Jewish race. You're a mixed race. And so now we will cast you out from us. But Judah would eventually be guilty of very much the same thing. But you know how it is when you're in conflict. It's just a way of continuing the hatred and the focus 
of the past. And we might look at that and go, why in the world are people still mad about something that happened hundreds of years ago? I mean, nothing like that would ever happen in our country. You know, like the country splitting into two sides and hating each other and going to war. And there still being hatred of racial and political and social things years and years after. That, w- that would never happen in this country, would it? We can't understand it, can't we? And we know it does happen, and it still happens, and we can't necessarily understand it. But it was probably a lot worse than we can really imagine. And so this woman is blown away that Jesus is even talking to her, and that he asked her for a drink of water. And Jesus' response is, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Well, what is that? The concept may seem appealing to her, but she is skeptical. You don't have anything to draw with. You've just kind of shown up here. I've got my water pot here. I'm going to put it on the rope and lower it down. But you don't have anything. She's thinking practical, everyday stuff, and Jesus is talking in a spiritual realm. You can't get living water here. This is a well. Don't you know there's no streams, there's no rivers, there's no lakes in this area? That's why Jacob, our father, made this well so many years ago. There's no, according to that culture, living water is water you can see moving. A creek, a river, a lake, you see the water moving. But a well, it's way down deep. You can't really see it and you have to pull it up. And you're probably not anybody special. You're probably not even in the league with Jacob so who, what are you talking about, living water? And Jesus doesn't take offense at any of this. He's trying to get to her heart and her soul. He presses her not for earthly answers, but for spiritual ones. He says, you can keep drinking this and need more because you'll still be thirsty. You'll come back tomorrow. You'll come back the next day and the next day and the next day. You're always going to need more of this. But I can give you water that you will never be thirsty Again, it will spring up in you a water welling up into eternal life. And she's thinking about this a well where it's coming up out of it. I don't even have to go down, it comes out. Yes. So she responds again with earthly focus. I'd love to have that. If I could avoid coming to this well every single day, that would be great. So give it to me. I just want that water that I won't have to be thirsty ever again. So Jesus says, go back and get your husband. And I'm going, what? What does that have to do with anything we're talking about, Jesus? And so she quickly says, I don't have a husband. So let's move on in the conversation. And Jesus says, well, I know because you've had five and the guy you're with now in the sixth go at it is not your husband. And she's going, okay. Now, I would have left. Anybody else thought that? I would have just left. Okay, you're, you're, you're getting personal, and I thought this was a nice conversation. I'm out of here. I'm not even going to talk to you anymore. For some reason, this lady stays, and she goes, obviously, you're a prophet. I've never seen you before. I have no idea who you are, and how in the world would you know that I've had five husbands and I'm on number six? You have to be a prophet. So she does take a little offense And she becomes a little defensive, and now all of a sudden the conversation shifts about personal stuff to let's get back on that political and social and racial thing. And so she says, well, you Jews claim that we have to worship in Jerusalem, but we think we should worship on this mountain. What is that all about? Well, it goes back to those two capitals again. And the Samaritans, I don't know if you knew this or not, 
But the Old Testament, they believed in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, Deuteronomy. They thought that was God's word, nothing else. They didn't believe any of the prophets. They didn't believe Psalms and Proverbs. They didn't study any of that. That's not really the Bible because that implies that the Messiah will come from Judah and we hate the southern nation, so that can't possibly be true. So she's saying, y'all say, we know Moses, the promised land was on Mount Gershom. That's where we're supposed to worship. But y'all say we're supposed to. So she's getting this whole thing going again. And Jesus says, look, I know about all the racial stuff. I know all about the religious stuff. I know all about the political stuff. I can tell you exactly how it all got started. But I'm not here to take a side, either north or south, Jews or Samaritans, male or female, slave or free. But by the way, rejecting God's word out of pride or arrogance or hatred and spite is ignorant. Worshiping what you do not know. He's saying, you think you know, but you don't. And by the way, the Messiah will come through the Jewish people. He will come through the, Jew, the Jewish nation. So you're wrong on that one, but he says it very sweetly. And Jesus doesn't talk about this, but I thought about this verse from Jeremiah. And it says this, Jeremiah was a prophet, which the Samaritans wouldn't have read this because he's a prophet and we don't read that. We just read the law. Jeremiah says this, my people, God is speaking, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And Jesus says, in all this political and all this racial and all this social mess that's going on, you have tried to dig your own living water, your own cisterns, and you've forsaken God. Both sides have done this. This is not about picking a side. Jesus is saying, I'm here to get you to realize, I know how all that got started in the first place. I was there watching over it. God's intent is not for the Jews, not for the Samaritans, not for males, not for females, not for moral people or immoral people, but it's for all people to be restored to God and to have their thirst quenched once and for all and stop blaming it on political things and racial things and all these other things. He wants all of his children to drink the living water and once and for all be quenched. Okay, okay, I get it. But you were getting a little personal there, so can we just agree that we know there's going to be a Messiah coming, and when that Messiah gets here, he's going to make everything right. All these things we're talking about here, he's going to make it right, he's going to explain it and sort it out. And Jesus says, I'm that Messiah. What? How does that must have felt to hear that? She probably remembers what Jesus first said to her when he says, she said, why are you, giving, why are you asking me for a drink? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, then you would have asked me for a drink, and I would give you living water. And she's probably remembering that. Guys. Is it possible? He does know about those five relationships. How could he possibly know that? He's not taken aside politically. He's not taken aside r racially. He's simply showing interest in me and eternal life and where I am now, and he knows that I'm thirsting for something Maybe he is. And this gift that he's talking about, this living water is the gift of God, is salvation, and salvation is for all people. 
Who it is that asks for a drink is actually the Savior, the Messiah, the one who restores and quenches all things. He can restore all that racial mess, all that religious mess, all that political mess, all that relational mess. He can restore that. And this woman has been trying. And this is, this is the reason I think he asked about her husband. He wasn't being insensitive. He just goes, I know in your life personally what you've been trying to quench that thirst with, that spiritual thirst, is with the relationships. And after five failed marriages, and now you're starting number six, Jesus is getting to her to see that that well water you've been trying to draw has no comparison to the water that I can give you. So today... Thanks for the history lesson, Craig. That's all real interesting. But there wasn't world peace all of a sudden, was there? But I want you to go back and read. I'm challenging you to go back and read what happens next. But what I want us to get out of this story, at least I hope what we can grasp today, if you and I were to encounter Jesus today, if we were to sit down somewhere, run into Him and bump into Him, and all of a sudden we start talking to Him And we started talking about life. You know what? I bet within a few minutes we would start talking about politics or racial issues or religious issues. And I would be trying to tell Jesus what I think about all of them and going, I hope that's good. I hope I have the right view of that. Would Jesus be impressed with my thoughts or your thoughts on that? But here's what I thought he would do. He would probably bring up something in my life that he knew that I was thirsting for and that I keep pursuing outside of God, trying to get my needs met outside of God, and I'm pursuing it and I'm thirsting that, and he would know it, and he would know exactly what it was, and he would bring it up, and the conversation would get really awkward, just like it did with this woman. And I go, Yeah, well, that, Jesus, you know, you just don't understand because if you knew all, and Jesus would say, No, I. I know all those involved. I know exactly where your heart is. I know exactly where your mind is. I know exactly what your soul is. And you're trying to get that need, that thirst quenched by all these other things, yourself, through whatever it may be. What would it be for you? What would Jesus dig up in your life and just throw it out there and you'd go, why do you got to bring that up? Why would you have to mention that? I thought you forgot all that. East is from the West. Why did you bring that up? Because Jesus wants to know and us to realize what we're really thirsting for. How would I respond to that personal thirst in my life? Would it be something relationally? Would it be something materially? Career, work, success, attention, love, acceptance? I mean, Jesus may say something simple as, uh, as soon as we leave here, you're going to get right back on your phone and start looking for love again, aren't you? You go, what? You're going to go right back on Facebook and try to get acceptance by showing all the cool stuff that you're doing that's cooler than all those other people. And we're laughing. That's exactly what some of us are doing. There's things in our lives that we're trying to quench a thirst with those things. And Jesus isn't mad at us, y'all. He hurts for us. You're just going to be thirsty again. It's like just keep giving me a bag of chips but nothing to drink. You're killing me here. 
But I think he would say to me and you the same thing that he said to her. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And we have to seek God, truly seek God, and worship Him in spirit and truth. Not just haphazardly, well, let's go to Sunday and let's go through the motions. And then as soon as we get out of here, let's get back into our routine again where we just kind of cut God out of it. We can worship like that. Only when we are knowing the gift of God, which is salvation. Only when we know the Savior, Jesus, through His life, through His death, and His resurrection. Now, the question is, what did she do? I'm not going to tell you. Some of you know. Some of you have read this, but I want to challenge you to go and read what happened next. She believed what Jesus said, and she was ready to try and get her thirst quenched in a different way after all these other things. Not mad at Jesus that he brought up something uncomfortable and awkward and destructive in her life. Now she's going, finally someone has brought that to my attention. Everybody knew it. That's why I avoid all those other ladies. But finally someone gets to the heart of the matter and is challenging me and is holding me accountable and wants me to actually get my thirst quenched. And I believe, y'all, that Jesus can do that for us and will do that for us. But we can't just want a quick fix. Do we have that video possibly? We do? Okay. This is a song. I mentioned it last week. But I want you to just listen to the song. It's a song by Natalie Grant. It's come more than anything. And I want you to just, it's, it's not a video of watching someone sing, but it's just the words. And I want you all to listen to this carefully and watch these words that are going to be on the screen. And I believe this is what God wants us to have this relationship with Him where we want Him more than just a quick fix, but this relationship with Him. I know if you wanted to, you could wave your hand. Spare me this heartache and change your plan. And I know any second you could take And if you don't, I pray Help me want the healing More than the healing Help me want the Savior More than the saving Help me want the giving More than the giving Oh, help me want you, Jesus More than anything anyone that my flesh is weak and you know I give anything for a remedy and I'll ask a thousand more times to set me free today oh but even if you don't I pray help me want the
It's a powerful song, isn't it? He says, when my, when my heart is desperate and overcome, you remind me that you've already taken care of that. You've already done what I really need in my life. And so this morning, I want to challenge all of us, wherever you are in life, Jesus has taken care. He's already done what we most needed. That's forgiveness of our sins and restoration with God, our Creator, and our Father. That's what we most needed. He's already taken care of that. And all this other stuff we try to quench our thirst with is just chasing after things that are going to leave us thirsty again. So this morning, we're going to offer an invitation that maybe somebody says, you know what, I want that living water today. I don't understand it completely, and God's not going to make it just completely go away, the things in my life, the hurts, the struggles. He's not going to make it go away immediately. It's a process, but He wants to do that. And He wants us to want not just the healing, He wants us to want the healer. Not just the saving, but the Savior. Because He doesn't want to just be forgive us and say, okay, I forgive you, get out of my life, I don't ever want to see you. No, I want to forgive you and have relationship with you now and forever eternally. Man, has there ever been a better offer than that in life? No. Nope.